0: Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads Baptist Church, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. I'm going to ask you to take your hymn books and turn to hymn number 107. The words will also be on the screen behind me as well, and that might help for some of you if you need to see that there. Uh, It's going to be a unique Christmas service. We're not going to be in a hurry, but I promise you we'll be out in time for lunch. Okay, but uh, I was reading... Uh, This week, an article, and it was estimated that church attendance today was going to be between 60 and 80 percent of what it normally is, uh, because a lot of folks wouldn't come to church on Christmas. And I want to thank you and commend you for being in church on Christmas. And uh, God bless you for that, and uh, we're honored to have a number of visitors with us today as well. And I will just say this, if it wasn't for Christmas, it would be pointless for us to be here anyway. So there's no better place for us to be on Christmas. And we're going to focus our attention. We're not going to have a big drama, anything like that. We're going to focus our attention on Scripture and on Christmas songs. And we've kind of been saving up to give a real focus to Christmas carols. And we want to thoughtfully and meditatively think about some important Scriptures that relates to Christmas as well as some wonderful songs as well. How many of you have noticed that... Uh, When you're out in public during Christmas season, you hear a lot of Christmas music, but very rarely do you think about the words. Or you hear a tune, and I want us to think about the words today. This first song, I want you to notice a punctuation mark uh, in this first song. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen. Notice the comma. Mary is not describing gentlemen. Mary is describing the word Rest, the word rest when this hymn was written, this Christmas carol was written several hundred years ago, had with it the idea of keep, protect, God keep you, God protect you, and then the word merry is the idea of in gladness and in joy. And let me tell you, the Lord is the source of any real joy. And uh, so God rest you, Mary, gentlemen, and you gentlewomen as well. Judson's going to come and lead us, and then we'll begin our service.
1: All right, go and join me in standing. And open your hymn books, hymn number 107, let's sing all four verses. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. From Satan's power and mind. now embrace this holy tide of Christmas. All others doubt the faith. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, O tidings, of comfort, and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. You may be seated.
0: Many times when a church has a worship service or a Christmas program, uh, there's a minority of people in that congregation that are the ones who are actually participating and everybody else is just spectator. Uh, Today, we're going to involve more of you as participants in this Christmas worship service. Now, for those of you who are visitors... You can just stay right where you are, okay? There's no pressure on you. We're going to have all of our ladies sing at one time, all of our men sing, all of our children sing. Come right up here on the platform. Another reason we're doing this is so that folks who are watching live stream will be able to see more than just my face up here, okay? And they get tired of seeing that probably very frequently. But uh, anyway, as we think about uh, our focus this morning, resting in Scripture and in the words of songs. Several years ago, Judges and I were driving, listening to it just before Christmas, listening to the Christmas music on a radio station. And I said, son, let's keep count how many Christmas songs are played before we listen to one that actually mentions the reason for Christmas. And it was really, uh, it caught my attention that I think we were 10 or 12 songs in before there was an actual Christmas song that was not secular that mentioned the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his coming to be born 2,000 years ago. And we're going to focus on that this morning. Uh, I'm going to open us in a word of prayer and then give a few introductory remarks, and then we're going to have some designated folks read scripture uh, with a brief explanation, and then we're going to sing again. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful to you uh, for the reality of what took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born. That's not where he began, that's where he began his existence as the God-man, but he is the eternal God, second person of the Trinity, put upon himself a human nature and came so that he could die as our sin-bearing substitute, and we praise you for that tremendous plan this morning, and as we celebrate that, and as we look to scripture and look to song, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and that all of us would be pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. As we chose Christmas songs that we would sing or hear this morning, a theme developed, and that is the theme of Come. And you can even see that on the screen behind me, Come and Worship. We've been in our week services leading up to today we've been looking at the pat- <clears throat> pardon me the pattern of the wise men and the fact that for thousands of years before Jesus Christ uh, was incarnated came to earth that prophets a thousand years 2000 years uh, 700 years 500 years before Jesus ever came prophets were telling of the coming of messiah Now that's fascinating, it's estimated that 350 prophecies from the Old Testament were fulfilled when Jesus came the first time, 350. Uh, A statistician one time ran the numbers on just eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person and found that one person fulfilling just eight prophecies like Jesus did when he was born, uh, the chances of that happening were one in 100 million billion now, that, that's numbers. To give you a mental image of that <clears throat> so that you can envision it, imagine covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep in stacks of silver dollars. You with me? One of those is marked, blindfolding a man and his finding that one silver dollar. That is the chance of just eight prophecies being fulfilled. And yet the Bible indicates Jesus fulfilled 350 of them when he came the first time. Okay. So that's the power of prophecy. And these are things that I want us to notice briefly in our time together this morning. When you think about the theme of coming, we read in the scriptures of an angel coming to Zechariah. And we read of an angel coming to Mary and to Joseph, an angel, and then angels coming to the shepherds. And prophesying that Jesus would come or had come. And then we read of the shepherds coming to the manger and we read of the wise men coming to find the Lord Jesus as they followed the star. And so this wonderful theme of coming, all of the songs with the exception of one that we're going to sing together today or hear sung, has the word come in it. So I want you to think about that. Jesus came and now he invites all to come to him, to come in salvation, to come and worship as the wise men did. And so let us think of that, Uh, the prophets told of a savior who would come to free us all from Satan's power, as we just sang, from the curse of sin. And that's why Christmas, as the song said, defaces all others. The word deface, there's the idea of eclipsing. Christmas eclipses all other holidays because it is the celebration of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Jonathan Luchek to read for us this morning Genesis three fourteen and fifteen, and as uh, John or as uh, <clears throat> Jeremy is getting the mic to Brother Luchek uh, to read this passage. This passage of scripture is on the screen behind you, and it tells of the seed of woman. This is right away at the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of time after creation, with man and fall. And the scripture tells of the seed of woman that would come and do battle with our
2: enemy Satan and win.
0: And, of course, that is God placing the curse upon Satan for his tempting Eve and Adam to sin. Jonathan Hopkins is going to read Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. This is God's promise to Abraham that through Abraham's descendants, not just the Jews, but all people would be blessed. And the specific fulfillment of that was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus would come as a descendant of Abraham to bring blessing to
3: all nations. John. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed.
0: Laura Lukens is going to read Genesis 49.10 and Numbers 24.17. These are two fascinating prophecies that would speak of the Lord Jesus coming as a king. His birth would be pointed out by that supernatural star. And this king would ultimately bring Shiloh, or peace, to all the earth.
4: The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth.
0: Elena Dietrich is going to read Isaiah 7:14 and Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And these two passages prophesy 700 years before Jesus was born. That he would be born supernaturally of a virgin. By the way, how else would God be born? Okay. It's not expected that he would come through natural birth in that sense. But the prophet tells that he would be born of a virgin as a king. His name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that he would be the king of kings. The king like no other king.
4: Therefore the Lord himself himself shall give you a sign... Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this.
0: Of course, history demonstrates that he came and offered himself as king the first time and his people rejected him. But I'm glad to tell you that he's coming again. And uh, you can be ready to meet him when he does come as king the second time. And I trust that if you're not, that today will be a day that you begin to think seriously about that. Jesse Lukens is going to read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And it's a unique prophecy that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as king would be preceded by a forerunner. And of that forerunner, as we well know, was John the Baptist. And uh, as a king would have a runner go before him and prepare the way, so the Lord Jesus Christ, his king, had a forerunner as well to announce that he had come.
2: Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her war- warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord make straight in the desert make straight in the desert a highway for our god every valley shall be exalted every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the lord hath spoken it
0: and then Joe Delp is going to read three passages, two from Isaiah and one from the book of Micah. Uh, both of these are prophets who prophesied 700 years before Christ came. And in these verses, you'll notice that Isaiah and Micah will speak of the unique and the unexpected nature of the coming of Christ, uh, that he would, uh, that would only further identify him as the unique Son of God and Messiah, the reality of who he is, uh, that his coming would be like new growth from a stump, a tree. The nation of Israel had been cut off, and yet Jesus was going to, from an unexpected source, grow and come. He would be like a root out of a dry ground. And Micah the prophet even prophesied 700 years before his birth, the little insignificant town in which Christ would be born. And maybe you don't know this, but there were multiple Bethlehems in Israel. And the prophet, 700 years prior to Christ's birth, pinpointed the exact one.
5: Isaiah 11, 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Isaiah 53, verses 1 and 2, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And Micah 5, verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now,
0: if you'd like to use your hymn book, turn to hymn number 77. We're going to sing the Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Judson will come and lead us with this. So dating all the way back to just after creation, in these few prophecy scriptures that we've considered, and these are just representative of hundreds Dating all the way back, we see that the longing of God's people has been for the coming of Messiah as the Savior of the world. The prophets, for thousands of years, fueled that anticipation. They gave a profile of the Messiah so that when he came, we would know what he looked like and who he was. And so now the invitation for 2,000 years of those who've come has been, Lord, you come, come, Emmanuel, and he has come. And now our choice and responsibility is to come to Him. Judson, come and lead.
1: All right, go and join me in standing as we sing this, and we'll just sing the first, second, and the last verses. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive. Yeah. Oh. Okay.
0: Several narrative passages of Scripture that we're going to have folks read, interspersed with songs. These, because they're longer narrative, will not be on the screen. Uh, but in just a moment, uh, Stephanie Sheeley is going to read Luke one thirty to thirty eight, and then Bernie Sheeley is going to read Luke two uh, one through seven. Luke chapter one verses thirty to thirty eight is the record of the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary and what is called the Annunciation, the announcement that she would be the woman that would uh, be used as the vehicle through which Messiah would be born. And then Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7 is the passage of Scripture that talks about how God sovereignly worked through taxes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You snickered at it. I'm glad you did, all right? But through taxes, working through Caesar Augustus, to want to take a census and raise more tax money. But here's the wonderful thing about these two passages. In the account that Stephanie's going to read, it's a picture of the free will of man. After the angel had made the announcement to Mary, she said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Her surrender of her will to God's will. But then the passage Bernie is going to read is a testimony to the sovereignty of God and how he works through Caesar Augustus, who had no clue what was going on, but a God in heaven was working in his heart, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man coming together, if you would, to bring forward the plan of salvation. Stephanie.
4: And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God and behold, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her.
6: And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree... From Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn.
0: The Bible makes it very clear that it was nighttime when the Lord Jesus was born and I'm going to ask all of the children, 18 and down, if their parents are okay with it, to come and just gather in a big group here on the platform, okay? This is where we have more participation, all right? 18 and down, you guys come right onto the platform, okay? And you're going to need hymn books, you guys are going to, some of you are going to need hymn books, especially bigger ones are going to need hymn books, all right, grab them. Tim number 84. If you want to follow along, the words will be on the screen as well. This is the one exception of all the songs that we have sung uh, and will sing today that does not have the word come, but this is one of the all time favorites of Christmas Silent Night, Holy Night, uh, that captures a unique paradox the quietness, the unassumed nature of that first Christmas night, and yet the supernatural, glorious entrance of Christ as a baby into human existence and this little baby that was born would change the world and so silent night holy night they're going to sing the first the second and the fourth verses for us this morning Isaiah in his suspenders, shirt untucked, the morning scuff between his eyes. Little boy, there's nothing like it, right? One of the glories of the coming of Christ as Savior is that he came for all. In a moment, I'm going to have Mike Salyer read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. One of the blessings of the Christmas story is how the narrative indicates very clearly that Christ came for everybody. He didn't just come for the Jew, but he came for Gentile. He came for the rich and the poor alike. He came for adults and children, red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. And that's why it's significant that the first announcement that Christ had been born were to lowly shepherds on a Judean hillside. Shepherds were considered unclean by the religious system of the day. Because they were always out with the sheep. They were vital to the sacrificial system, but they were considered unclean. And I think it's powerful that Christ is our good shepherd. He's the great shepherd who would give his life for the sheep. That the first announcement that he had come were to shepherds. Statistically, a survey was recently taken and asked folks about the Christmas story, which participant in the christmas story they most identified with and the majority of people said i identify with the shepherds when they were asked why they said because they were just common folks like the rest of us and they were the ones to whom christ's announcement of his birth was first given and so he is for all and praise the lord all can come to him and listen as mike reads luke
2: chapter two verses eight through twenty And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. concerning this child and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds but mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising god for all the things that they heard and see as it was told unto them All right, I'm going to ask all the ladies to come
0: to the platform and bring a hymn book with you, and hymn number 78, and some of you teen young ladies. And again, if you're visiting with us today, you're more than welcome to stay right where you are, okay? Uh, But if we can just get, ladies, if you can just gather here on the platform behind me. Uh, Hymn number 78, O Holy Night. Uh, This song is usually reserved for uh, soloists, And that might be fun with the timing today, because a lot of times there's some liberty taken with the timing of this song, but the title of this song is O Holy Night. You'll be able to follow the words on the screen as this song captures the truth of what occurred 2,000 years ago in a single night, and that it was for all that Christ came. So uh, ladies, there you go. all God's people said. That was worth it right there. Thank you, ladies. Uh, You can return to your seats. Very grateful for that. Uh, I knew we were risking it because that's a solo song and putting a whole choir of ladies on a song that normally is interpreted with some liberty. Uh, wonderful, wonderful message and a tremendous blessing to our hearts as well. Uh, You notice the second verse talked about the wise men coming from Orient Land. To me, this is one of the most fascinating parts of the Christmas story, that these men, Gentiles, with minimal information, we still don't know all the information they had, but with minimal information, traveled the distance that they did in order to find The Christ child. It would have been somewhere, I believe, within two years after the birth of Christ. They were dwelling in a hired house. Jesus would have been just a little toddler. And you can imagine uh, the the shockwave that it would have been to the household that day when these wise men came to this little town of Bethlehem. And Brother Dustin Duke is going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I would ask you to pay close attention to this passage as well, Uh, because this is the passage that I'll be focusing on for a few brief closing remarks in the message. Brother Dustin.
3: Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. "'Go and search diligently for the young child. "'And when ye have found him, bring me word again, "'that I may come and worship him also.' "'When they had heard the king, they departed. "'And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, "'till it came and stood over where the young child was. "'When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. "'And when they were come into the house, "'they saw the young child with Mary his mother, "'and fell down and worshipped him. "'And when they had opened their treasures,' They presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way.
0: All right, men, it's your turn. If you get your hymn books and come up here, hymn number 85, the words will be on the screen as well. Again, if you're visiting with us, you're not comfortable coming up here, that's just fine. But any of you men that want to join us, As we think about the wise men coming with the information that they had traveling the distance that they did, we're reminded of the fact that 2,000 years later, may I say this, the invitation to trust Christ, the invitation to follow Christ, the invitation to come and worship the born, living, dying, Raised and ascended and enthroned enthroned Son of God still rings through all the ages. Oh, come, all ye faithful. So you enjoy as the men sing all three verses of Oh, come, all ye faithful. you men. You may go back to your seats. Now, if you would take your hymn books and turn to hymn number 95, join us all in standing. Judson's going to come and lead us in the first, second, and third verses of joy to the world. The Lord is come as we rejoice in the fact that he has come. Judson will lead us verse one, two, and three.
1: sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy, and the third as the last. No more let and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His last things flow. For The curse is found for us the curse is All right, you may be seated.
0: If you have your Bibles, would you join me in Matthew chapter two? Matthew chapter two. Just briefly, this morning, uh, for those of you are visiting with us over the last uh, four Sundays, we have been studying the wise men in this section that Brother Dustin read just a few moments ago, Matthew chapter two, verses one through twelve. Several Sundays ago, we began by considering the priority of worship, and then uh, two Sundays ago, the profit of worship, the benefits, the blessings that God has wired into the act of worship when we worship the Lord Jesus. And then last Sunday we considered the pattern of worship, and I want to climax this morning by our considering the person of worship. Let me just say this this morning, there is only one person worthy of worship, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are worshipers. We're worshipers by nature. Some people worship material things, and really when a person worships material things, they're in a sense worshiping themselves. I want us to understand this morning, there's only one who's worthy of our worship, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about the person of worship and we go back to the account of the wise men, I'm interested to see that when they came, who did they find? They found this little toddler boy, and I'm sure they would have found out fairly soon after their long and arduous journey, they would have found a little boy by the name of Jesus The text speaks of that, chapter 2, verse number 1. Now when Jesus was born, his name speaks of his priority. That is, the priority for his purpose, the reason that he came. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 19 and verse number 10 tells us of Christ's priority that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. And wrapped up in His name is the priority for why He came. I read this recently. If our need would have been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our need would have been for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our need would have been for money... God would have sent an economist. If our need would have been for pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our need was forgiveness. And so God sent a savior. As you read on in the text, you find that he was a male child, he. Those pronouns are used multiple times. You find that he was born. That speaks of his humanity. His humanity. When the wise men found him, he was a young child in the presence of his mother. As we think about the importance of Christ's humanity, an entire message could be preached on this. But one of the blessings that we need to be reminded of as it relates to Christ's humanity, his becoming man, as God becoming man, is so that he could identify with us and empathize with us at every stage of human existence. I read a funny quip this morning Uh, that man's life can be divided into four stages. The first stage is when he believes in Santa Claus. The second stage is when he quits believing in Santa Claus. The third stage is when he has his family and he becomes Santa Claus. And the fourth stage is when he starts to look like Santa Claus. In all seriousness, the importance of Christ's humanity is that he identifies with us. Those 33 and a half years that he was on earth, he identifies with us in whatever experience we may have, but the Bible says, yet without sin. The perfect sinless lamb and substitute, he identifies with your struggles. He identifies with your suffering. In fact, his suffering was suffering like no other human has ever experienced. And the thing about that suffering is that he suffered what he did For you and for me. If he would not have had a body as a human, he could not have shed blood to satisfy the payment necessary for sin. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. His death would not have been a bodily death. His resurrection would not have been a bodily resurrection. And so, he is born, and it speaks of his humanity he is born king of the Jews. This speaks of his royalty. Do you think about prophecy? Some of the scriptures we've heard this morning. He is the king of kings who uniquely among all the kings of the earth will reign forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. As a king, he is the one that will coalesce, will unite a people around him. It's interesting. History is filled with the stories of kings who expected great sacrifices from their people on their behalf, but King Jesus is the only king who sacrificed on behalf of his people. And so he is king. It speaks of his royalty. He's king of the Jews. That speaks of his ethnicity. It makes him the member of an identifiable people group with a traceable genealogy. Do you know one of the greatest proofs in all of the scripture and all of time that the Bible is the word of God or the genealogies? Proving the connection of everything that is said. It's as if saying, hey, here, here's the history of the Redeemer. Check it out. Look for yourself. There's a traceable genealogy. And so even that he is king of the Jews is a testimony of his ethnicity as being the member of an identifiable group. The wise men told Herod, we have seen his star in the east. When you think about Christ having a star and the fact that the scripture said it was his star, it speaks to me of his reliability. For a millennium now, mariners and travelers and astronomers have been trusting in the reliability of the stars to give direction. As I think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his star and that star that pointed out the place of his birth so that those wise men could travel from the east, from the orient, I'm reminded of the reliability of Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself in John chapter number six, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I want you to understand that Jesus is completely reliable. You come to him in faith and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, for the saving of your soul, for the receiving of the gift of eternal life, and Jesus Christ is absolutely reliable to save. He said in John, or Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He called himself the water of life. He is the one who gives the gift of eternal life. When a person drinks that water, he told the woman at the well, you will what? Never thirst again. In John 6, he referred to himself as the bread of life. When a man eats the spiritual bread of life, he'll never thirst hunger again. John chapter 10 verses 28 through 30 as we think about the reliability of Christ when a sheep of his hears his voice and trusts him for salvation. Jesus said, they're in my hand, the father's hand is over me and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. The security of salvation. He's absolutely reliable. Herod the king even referred to Jesus as the Christ Christ. And it's another name that the wise men would have learned when they found Christ, found him, that he was Christ. That speaks of his deity. The Old Testament word, Messiah, the Greek translation of that is Messias. And then the Greek uh, word that we use often is Christos as well. So Messiah and Christ, they're synonymous words. They speak of that Old Testament one prophesied who would come, who was the anointed one of God, the promised one of God, the God-man who would come as God in the flesh to fulfill all the promises of God, the greatest of which was redemption for those who would trust him. And even Herod recognized he was coming. And so his name, Christ, speaks of his deity. And then the scribes and Pharisees spoke of this one that would fulfill prophecy as one who would be a governor and who would rule. This speaks of his authority. But the word rule that is used there is not talking about a dictatorial or a tyrannical rule but it literally is that Jesus would be a governor, a leader that would shepherd his people. He would lead them. He would feed them. He would love them like a shepherd. And what was the greatest demonstration? That good shepherd would do what? He would give his life for the sheep. And so that's who the wise men would have found when they came. The person they were seeking, the person of worship. And so... What was their response? Well, being the person who Jesus was, and may I say, is, these wise men demonstrate to us that because he was Jesus, showing his priority, because he was the one born, showing his humanity, because he was king, showing his royalty, because he was king of the Jews, showing his ethnicity, because he was one who was uh, identified by a star, showing his reliability, because he was Christ, showing his deity, because he was a governor that would rule, showing his authority, their response was to come and worship. To come and worship. As we think about this, they demonstrate to us that Christ is worthy of seeking. He's worthy of seeking with all that you have. Now, to be sure, the Bible says that God sought us first. But we have the responsibility and the privilege to seek Him, to seek Him for salvation, to seek Him for our growth, to seek Him for worship. These wise men traveled 1,700 miles The round trip would have taken close to a year. We've talked about the risks that they would have incurred. But I'm glad that the scripture says that when you seek Christ, he will be found of you. He was worthy of seeking and still is. Also, these wise men show us that Christ was worthy of following. He's the governor that will rule his people. And when you commit to following Christ with your life, mark it down. He is absolutely reliable in how he will lead. He'll never lead astray. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 18, 37, Jesus said the purpose he came onto this earth was to bear witness to the truth. You want the truth? Find Jesus. You want the way? Find Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so these wise men show us that Jesus is not only worthy of seeking, but he's worthy of following. Thirdly, he's worthy of praising. I want to see a replay when I get to heaven. I want to see a replay of these wise men coming out of Herod's palace and that star reappearing over Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Cuz the Bible says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I don't know how wise men in all their big full robes and regalia rejoice with exceeding great joy. I don't know if they were high-fiving. I don't know if they were fist-bumping. I don't know what they were doing. But the idea of rejoicing with exceeding great joy is they were verbal about it. They were unrestrained about it. They had found someone worthy of rejoicing in. Okay. Let me tell you something. The only one worthy of our rejoicing is Jesus Christ. Boy, don't we by nature we look for an athlete to be a hero? Some folks do. We think of politicians. Man, maybe they'll help us out. Good good luck with that. We do have one here this morning who I do have confidence in, I will say that. Okay. People look for heroes of all kinds, don't they? But I want you to understand, every human hero will fail you. They will age, they'll become antiquated. They'll die. They'll disappoint in some way or another. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ will always be worthy of your rejoicing. Okay. They also show us that he was worthy of worshiping. Worthy of worshiping. The Bible tells us that when they saw the child, they fell down. It literally means prostrate. Fell down before him and worshiped. Now, I was thinking about... Typical American culture, kneeling and bowing out of respect is usually not a part of American culture. You go to Europe, you go to the Orient, it is. I read this past week about a member of the English Parliament, the British Parliament, by the name of Neil Martin, who was giving a group of his constituents a tour of the House of Parliament in London. As he was giving this tour, the Lord High Chancellor Hailsham, in all of his regalia, a big robe uh, embroidered in gold and a big powdery curly wig. I'm glad we do things differently here. Okay. But Lord High Chancellor Hailsham was passing through the hallway where Neil Martin was giving a tour to his constituents, and Lord Hailsham greeted this member of parliament and said, Neil! And instinctively, everybody in that tour group <laughs> knelt like this. Now, if that happened in the Capitol building, you're not going to see a bunch of people kneeling. It's a part of their culture. It's a part of their national psyche. Okay, But can I say this? As God's people, those seeking, the only one who's worthy of worship, that bowing and kneeling, if not with your physical knee, with the knee of your heart should be a regular part of your existence because Jesus is worthy of worship. They also testify to us that he's worthy of giving extravagantly to. I love the gifts, the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh. Gold, the gift representing Christ as king. They were saying in the gift of the gold, this is the king and we're acknowledging him as our king. These were extravagant gifts. The gift of frankincense was very difficult to acquire as with myrrh in those days. The gift of frankincense was often used in worship, the incense of visible manifestation, get this, of intercession. And in giving the frankincense, they're testifying of Christ that this is the priest of all priests. He is the one who will intercede for us. And his prayers, his intercession, have access to God. And so they're saying, this is our priest. This is how we and all of us will have any chance of getting to God. And then the gift of myrrh often associated with an embalming spice when a person was, uh, had passed away and would be embalmed in the tomb. And they're acknowledging, not only is he king, not only is he priest, but he's sacrificed. The one who will sacrifice and will pay the price that none of us can pay. And they gave an extravagant gift as a testimony that he alone was worthy. It struck me that this year it's estimated that Americans will spend $950 billion on Christmas. That'd put a dent in the national debt, wouldn't it? 900, a little one. (laughs) $950 Nine hundred fifty billion dollars. you know world that? That's Americans worldwide. Worldwide, that's one hundred thirty-five dollars a person for every person on the globe, folks. That's a lot of money we're spending on Christmas. Now, I know the average per person is like eight to nine hundred dollars. I doubt very seriously anybody in here is spending that much per person. Okay, maybe you are. But my question is, hopefully it's a, it's a token of how much you love the person you're giving to. Okay. But do you know what I love about these wise men? The gift that they give gave was a gift of extravagance and showing that Christ alone is worthy of that kind of giving. And then they also show us that he is worthy of trusting exclusively, even as they left his presence and were initially heading back To Herod, remember, God spoke to them in a dream and said, don't go back. And they demonstrate for us, don't go back to Herod. They demonstrate to us the importance of trusting the Lord exclusively. By the way, do you know he's the only one that is worthy of exclusive trust? He alone. I read a fascinating story recently about a young woman, she's a little older now, but a woman by the name of Marla Runyon. For years, she's legally blind. For years, she had participated in the uh, Paralympics and had tried several times to get into the normal Olympics, what are called the, this is not a slight, but the able-bodied Olympics that take place every four years. Finally, as a legally blind woman, Long distance runner, she was able to break in. Three times she has won national championships, I believe, for the 5,000, 8,000 meter, three times, legally blind. Someone asked her one day, I bet you wish you could see. It's got to be difficult, it's got to be a handicap not being able to see anything but blurry shapes and objects while you're running. She said, No, actually, it's a wonderful asset. And she went on to tell how many times one of the things that distract runners is what they see. Other runners, they get distracted by other things. But she said, me, I can't see any of those. (laughs) All I'm focused on is the finish line. And I thought, you know what? Isn't it a tremendous blessing when we just focus on Christ? That he is worthy exclusively of our trust. Whether it's the need of salvation... Religion can't save you, church membership can't save you, giving to charity, being a good person can't save you, only Christ can save you, he is worthy of your exclusive trust. I think about believers that are in our midst today, those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior, can I tell you that for living the Christian life, he alone is worthy of your exclusive trust? In 1988, a family of five, a dad and a mom and three children, the oldest of the children, a 16-year-old daughter, he discovered that that 16-year-old daughter had a very rare form of leukemia. Her name was Alyssa, and they found that after the chemo and the radiation, she would need a bone marrow transplant if she were to survive. The dad and the mom and the two younger siblings were tested And none of them were a match. And the bone marrow transplant needed to come through a family member that was an exact match. And so this dad and mom, in their 40s, did something very radical. They decided to have another baby in hopes that that baby would be the perfect match for the bone marrow, understanding that bone marrow could be extracted without any damage to that life. That baby was born, they named her Marissa. And when Marissa got a little older, they tested her and found out that she was a perfect match. When she was 14 months old, they extracted a little bone marrow from little Marissa and injected it into her older sister, Alyssa. That was in 1988. And to this day, both of those young women are still living healthy lives. a story of a child born to give life. But I want you to be reminded at Christmas that the Lord Jesus was born 2,000 years ago to give eternal life to all who will receive him. And it's something far worse than leukemia. The curse of sin has infected all, not just a few. We all need the salvation that only Christ, through his death, can provide. Father, thank you for the wonderful reminder of the person of worship and how Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our seeking. He's worthy of our following. He's worthy of our finding. He's worthy of our giving extravagantly everything that we have to him for his purpose, his use. And Lord, as we transition here towards the end of this service, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know Christ as Savior, that they would recognize their need of Him today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to make a simple invitation and then we're going to transition. If you're here today and if I were to have a personal conversation with you and I were to ask you, do you know for sure that Christ is your Savior, that heaven is your eternal home? And if you were to have doubts about that, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save you today. He wants to bring you into his family today. By a simple act of faith that often is worded in a sincere prayer, where you just call on the name of the Lord. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. I recognize that because of sin, I'm separated from you. I can't have the hope of heaven, eternal life, but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago to be my substitute on the cross. And he died in my place. And God accepted his sacrifice as payment for my sin. And I'm trusting in him for my salvation, for my forgiveness of sin, and for my eternal life. Do you know that if you were that in a simple prayer, believing in your heart what you pray, do you know that the Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know, by a simple prayer like that, sincerely prayed, you can become God's child today, have your sins forgiven, become a member of His family, and be given eternal life. Now, here's my invitation to you before we transition. If you're here today, and in the quietness of your seat, you would just call on the name of the Lord for salvation. He's promised He would save you. And here's what I would like to ask you to do. If you ask the Lord to save you today, sometime today, would you maybe let me know before you leave? If you're visiting with us today, let the person know that invited you. Hey, I just wanted you to know that I asked the Lord to be my Savior today. And then we want to do our best to be a help and a friend to you, having trusted Christ as Savior. So that's my invitation. Before you leave today, Before the day is over, would you mention something to me as your leaving, or to the person that invited you so that we can rejoice with you and be a help and a friend to you in your life now as a new member of the family of God? Father, I pray that you would work in the final moments of this service. Lord, I'm grateful that we've been able to center our attention on Scripture, that we've been able to center our attention on the Christmas songs that teach us so much doctrine and truth about Jesus coming to earth 2,000 years ago to be our sin-bearing substitute. Lord, if there's one here this morning that does not have the assurance of eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And then, Lord, so we can be a help and a friend of them, that they would let us know that before they leave. And, Lord, I pray for believers. I pray that our hearts would be turned all the more in worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, for He alone is worthy. And I pray these things in His name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Capel's going to come. He's even got his Christmas sweater on. And then I'm going to ask all the kiddos, sixth grade and down, if your dad and mom are okay with it, he's going to read us the true night before Christmas. Not the one that was written in the early 1800s that talks about Santa Claus coming, okay? But the true night before Christmas that tells the story of Jesus coming. So, Pastor Cape, will you go ahead and take your spot? We'll get this, if you can get that microphone down, you can speak into that one. Um, so, young people 6th grade down, if you want to come, come gather around here, and we've got a gift for you, a little treat. That you all can gather around here, and we even have some for the, and you guys can get those after Pastor Capel has read the story, okay? I read about a little girl who was going into big church for the first time with her grandma, and as she sat next to grandma, you guys can all sit down right there on the floor, there you go. As she sat next to Grandma, the pastor opened the service and he said, Lord, we thank you for your presence being with us today. And the little girl looked up at her grandma and she said, You mean we're going to get presents too? Okay. So you guys are going to get a little present treat bag. But you listen as Pastor Capel reads the true Christmas story. And then we'll conclude our service.
5: We're glad you guys are here today. You, you ready for your presents? We've got a whole bunch under the tree. You know, everybody, this time of year, a lot of people think that uh, Christmas is all about presents. And there's a poem that somebody wrote, uh, The Night Before Christmas. Well, this fellow, John W. Cook, wrote a poem. He's wrote this poem. He entitled it, The True Night Before Christmas. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the earth... God's people were waiting the time of Christ's birth. The various prophecies God given with care come to pass on one night in Judea there. The people were scattered through Israel's land, paying their taxes at Caesar's command. Young Mary and Joseph espoused to be wed. Descendants of David to Bethlehem sped. "'Twas late in the evening. They arrived there that day." They found at the end there no place to stay. Away in a stable, no place for a guest, they settled that couple to find them some rest. The star in the sky shone unusually bright to herald the event to take place that night. When there on the hay her time now full come, the virgin dear Mary gave birth to God's Son. With no crib to lie in, a stable for sheep became our Savior a place for his sleep. Moreover, that night, in a field calm and still, rough shepherds were resting serenely until, through the dark of the sky, God's glory shone round, all quaking and frightened, they fell to the ground. To those, as they trembled, God's messenger came, good tidings of great joy to all to proclaim. For you on this day in the city close by, a baby, your Savior, in a manger does lie. So go to the stable, the baby you'll find. In swaddling clothes he lies there entwined. And then in a twinkling, t'was heard through the air, the praise of the angels assembled up there. To God in the highest, all glory and praise, goodwill amongst men, and peace throughout their days." When the angels returned then to heaven above, they, there stood the shepherds amazed by God's love. A moment they wondered, then hastily ran, found Mary and Joseph in God's gift to man. The baby named Jesus, man's savior from sin, had come as was promised his work to begin. His eyes not quite open how much they would see. Of hatred and failures of man's misery. The shepherds, the wonder made known as they went, told all of the gift that to mankind was sent. The star, the same star that proclaimed his birth, was shining for people all over this earth. The wise men, they saw it and knew what it meant. The Savior, God promised this world, had been sent. They left all to find him, a baby, tis true. He came as their savior. He came for us too. Once more at Christmas, the time of Christ's birth, a holiday season, is that all it's worth? No, there is hope in this message, forgiveness of sin for those who receive him, who let him come in. Let's remember his birthday. Let's celebrate right Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night.
0: All right. you go back to your seat, you can get a goodie bag there, and this will help to keep your dentist in business. All right. Join me in standing, if you would. Judson's going to come and lead us in hymn number 102 in your hymn books, Born to Die. We'll sing all three verses and then for all the rest of you as you leave today and I'll close this in just a moment after we sing uh, we also have uh, goodie bags for you. Any of you that want one I promise you there are some things in there that you'll like. So
1: Judson's going to lead us and uh, when
0: we'll, then we'll conclude.
1: Hymn number 102, the words should be on the screen. We'll just sing the first three verses. On the night Christ was born just before
0: Christmas. I'm going to ask Dr. Comfort if you would please uh, to close us in prayer. It's five minutes till twelve, so we are done early. Okay. As you're leaving today, don't forget uh, that uh, there'll be some gentlemen out there with the treat bags for you. Brother Comfort closes in prayer. We'll be